0: Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Well, hey there. Welcome to today's program, uh, Parenting Your Challenging Child. I'm glad that you were able to join in today. And if you're not uh, joining in live, I'm glad that you are finding a way to listen to the um, recordings on the Lives in the Balance website. Um, We do this once a week during the school year to try to, provide uh, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, any family members, with the support and guidance and uh, information they need to um, understand behaviorally challenging kids, probably especially the one who's in your household or in your life, and uh, help them well. Um and we got a bunch of emails to respond to today, and uh, but let me give you that call-in number again because today is a great opportunity to call in. It's three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one. If you've got a question about um, your child's lagging skills, if you've got a question about why it's hard to do Plan B with your child, if you've got a question about a solution that didn't pan out as well as you might have thought it was going to, Uh, whatever you need. That's why we're here for the next 45 minutes. Uh, Once again, 347-994-2981. I think I'll start, since we don't have any callers standing by, with an email. And there was one that I wanted to start with, and I thought I had it but now, there it is. Um, My nine-year-old son has frequent angry and physical outbursts, which we are trying to get a handle on using Plan B. Do you believe in having him make restitution uh, for broken doors, lamps, etc.? For example, needing to do some chores like vacuuming or dusting to pay for the damage by helping out mom and dad. Thanks. Well, uh, interesting concept. It's actually um, sort of consistent with a model that is philosophically similar to collaborative problem solving called restorative justice, where um, the individual who has exhibited challenging behavior or done something that was... Uh, not okay, Uh, makes restitution so as to restore trust. Uh, Makes amends in some ways. And you know, philosophically, I don't have a major problem with that. I like it better than adult imposed consequences. Sometimes adults impose the restitution and it kind of comes off like it's a consequence. I don't think that's the... uh, idea So if this is something that the child and the adult are collaboratively agreeing on um making amends sounds okay to me Now there's one major caveat making amends m- making restitution isn't going to solve the problem that caused the child to break the door break the lamp in the first place when the problems that are causing the broken doors and lamps in the first place get solved then the child isn't breaking doors or lamps anymore and he doesn't have to make restitution or amends for doing that anymore So while I philosophically have really no major problem with kids making amends for the damage they've done or the feelings they've hurt, um, I think the most important thing a parent can do is figure out what unsolved problems set the challenging behavior in motion in the first place. And then we don't have to worry about restitution. Restitution because the problem is solved. What do you think of that? Um, That's what I think. Let's move on to another one. Uh, Dr. Green, on your Alsip form, you list a number of skills which apply to any number of challenging kids, including my foster daughter. I've learned a lot from your online talks on collaborative problem solving. Good. But while I see lots of instruction and examples on how to identify and solve unsolved problems, I have not been able to find any advice on how to teach those lagging skills. Plan B is great for proactively avoiding – well, I wouldn't use the word avoiding – for proactively, I'm going to change the word in the email, for proactively solving problems. But in the real world, outside the home with many different kinds of people and approaches, the majority of the rest of the population is not going to be concerned with solving her problems, whether they're quite busy enough with their own. What she needs more than anything is to master the skills, to be adaptive, flexible, resilient. But how exactly does one do that? Great question. Thank you for it. Uh Well, the main way that you're teaching skills is by solving problems collaboratively. That's the main way you're doing it. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say, I've, I use this example frequently, but I might, might as well do it again. Let's say that Johnny is having difficulty making transitions. That's a lagging skill. The problem is, I'm not exactly sure how you would teach that skill directly. I don't know of a great technology for teaching kids to make transitions better in general. But let's say that a specific condition in which Johnny's having trouble making transitions is... Mm, I use this example frequently. This was a real kid... Difficulty moving from choice. I heard about another kid like this last night. I did a talk for preschool teachers last night in Concord, Massachusetts. And um, this was a kid, but this is not an uncommon one, so I could be talking about a lot of kids. Difficulty making transitions from choice time, where he's playing a game at school, to math, where he's um, supposed to be next. Math always comes after choice time. That's an unsolved problem. We're going to do Plan B to solve that problem collaboratively. We're going to get that problem solved using Plan B. In doing so, we will have accomplished a few important missions, one of them relevant to your question. First of all, we're going to reduce the challenging behaviors that are associated with that unsolved problem because the unsolved problem is now solved. So that's good. Secondly, we will have taken one decent step forward on having taught Johnny how to make transitions better in general by helping him with this particular transition or're helping him make transitions in general. Is he great at it yet making transitions that is no not because of one unsolved problem. Just like, quite frankly, if uh, you teach a kid how to catch a fly ball in left field, and he catches it, uh, have we prepared him for all eventualities in left field? No. But we've prepared him for one of them. He's now successfully caught a fly ball once. Have we taken an important step forward in helping him master left field in general? Yes, an important step forward, but only one step forward. Uh, if we solve one unsolved problem related to difficulty making transitions, is the child now significantly better at making transitions in general? No. Is he? Have we solved this particular transition? Yep, apparently so. Have we made a nice dent in making transitions in general? Yes. When you're solving problems collaboratively, you're simultaneously but indirectly teaching the child the skills he's lacking. I don't think most of us got good at making transitions, those of us who are half-decent at it, by being taught to make transitions directly. I think most of us got better at making transitions. In the stream of ongoing life, when we had trouble making a transition, somebody helped us, and we got better at that transition and simultaneously better at transitions in general. This is no different. Are there some skills on the list of lagging skills that we might try to teach directly? Yes. I would try to teach language processing and communication skills directly frequently there are some social skills i would try to teach directly and once again i rely very heavily there on the work of michelle garcia winner and her social thinking model socialthinking.com i think michelle has done an extraordinary job of identifying in very specific terms these social skills that kids might be lacking, and has given us some great information on how to go about teaching those skills. So yes, there are some of the lagging skills that I would teach directly, but the vast majority of them are going to be taught indirectly by solving the problems that are associated with those lagging skills collaboratively. Now here's the icing on the cake irrespective of the unsolved problem and irrespective of the lagging skill that gave rise to that unsolved problem. You're teaching a whole bunch of skills just by doing plan B. You are teaching kids, and this is something they often have trouble with, to identify and articulate their concerns. You're teaching them to actually clarify their concerns. That's life in the real world. You want your kid to be able to identify, clarify, and articulate concerns in the real world. Uh, That's the empathy step. Uh, In the define the problem step, you're teaching your child to take another person's concerns into consideration and into account and hang in there while the other person is doing that, safe in the knowledge that your concern isn't, that the child's concern isn't simultaneously being blown off the table by somebody else's concerns, that's, well, no, that's a real-world skill. In the invitation, a child is learning to generate alternative solutions. Think about whether those solutions are mutually satisfactory, meaning they address the concerns of, both parties concerns that were identified in those first two steps of plan B, think about the likely outcomes of those solutions, all real world skills irrespective of what unsolved problem you're working on right now and what lagging skill contributed to that unsolved problem, as to the remainder of your email um I don't know. I think there's a lot of problem-solving going on in the real world between people. I think a lot of what people talk to each other about is problems that they're having, a lot of advice-giving going on out there. So um, I don't know if the rest of the world isn't going to be concerned with solving your daughter's problems with her. I agree that they're busy enough with their own, but I truly do think a lot of what people talk to each other about is problems that they're having, problems that they're having with their children, problems that they're having at work, problems that they're having, whatever kind of problem. So I agree with you. Your daughter does need to master the skills to help her be an adaptable, flexible, resilient kid. And I think that solving problems with her collaboratively is going to get the job done. All right. Shall we move to another one? Let's see if we have any callers. I'll give you that number again. three four seven 347-994-2981. Let's move on to another email. Here's one. Uh, okay. Dr. Green, um, just wanted to say thanks so much for the info that you provide. I read The Explosive Child many years ago and have followed many different experts to help my 14-year-old son adopted from Romania at two, who has RAD, FAE, and a myriad of challenges, including a really low IQ and diminished reasoning. I'd been running around all lots of years for trying to get, trying to get diagnoses, spending a great deal of time, energy, and money. I have the diagnoses, but that still doesn't move me forward. I'm coming out of the email now. Here's my comment. I often say that adults go through two phases of development when they're trying to understand and help their behaviorally challenging child. Phase one, believing that a psychiatric diagnosis is going to give them a great deal of useful information. Phase two, once they have the diagnosis, appreciating that the diagnosis did not actually give them a great deal of useful information. Now back to the email. Your approach of focusing on the why is now my main concern. I, that, 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 of course, and now this is me again, tells me that this parent is now focusing on lagging skills. That's why. Uh, I'm sure you've worked with RAD kids before. That, that stands for reactive attachment disorder. And wondered if you had any additional suggestions, thoughts, or resources specific to dealing with reactive attachment disorder. Still struggling. I've read all the books on RAD. Um, I'm excited to start the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems this week with his regular therapist. Good. That's where I'd start. And to tell you the truth, um, I actually can't think of anything that I would change or alter about collaborative problem solving on the basis of that diagnosis. I find that kids who carry the diagnosis of Reactive Attachment Disorder are frequently lacking many skills. I find that the Reactive Attachment Disorder piece often brings us to an explanation related to early history with early caregivers. And I find that that explanation is frequently invoked as a standalone explanation for why behaviorally challenging kids are challenging, for why some behaviorally challenging kids are challenging. And let there be no doubt, there are many kids in this world who did not get off to a good start and whose caregivers had a great deal of time providing them with the nurturance and care they needed. But to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that I find that early history To be all that relevant, I'm I'm always grateful for the knowledge. I certainly want to know what a kid's been through. But I don't usually find that early history to be especially crucial to what we're deciding we're going to do now to try to help the child. And by the way, um, this is not me picking on that particular disorder. I feel the same way about the vast majority of psychiatric disorders. They wouldn't change the fundamental ingredients of collaborative problem-solving. As you are about to do with your therapist, we still need to figure out what skills your child is lacking, possibly as a byproduct of that early history, and possibly not. To tell you the truth, we'll never know. What we know is what we got now. We have a kid who's lacking lots of skills, And then we have to figure out, in very specific terms, the unsolved problems that are associated with those lagging skills, times when the demands that are being placed upon your child are outstripping your child's capacity to respond adaptively to those demands, irrespective of how your child came by those lagging skills and unsolved problems, irrespective of whether it's nature or nurture, genetics or environment, early attachment history, later trauma history. Those are things I want to know about. But what I'm especially looking for is lagging skills and unsolved problems. And then, I want to start solving those problems collaboratively. That's what I would do. So... Reactive Attachment Disorder wouldn't dramatically change the game plan in trying to help your behaviorally challenging child be less challenging. Always happy for the info doesn't really change the game plan. We have a caller from area code 207 sorry you've been holding on for four minutes here but uh by golly you're on the air now how are you today
1: i'm doing well
0: i know that you are somewhere in a very large state but don't tell us where and don't use names but you're living in one of my favorite states (laughs) me too (laughs) go ahead what's on your mind today
1: Well, I'm actually calling in again. I had called in a few weeks back about my daughter having some serious issues getting ready and going to school in the morning. Cool. And we talked with her about it, and mornings have actually been fabulous. (laughs) It's really working. Um, Some of the things that she came up with with why she was dragging getting into the car to leave were from mom and dad's perspective. Absurd, but we <laughs> we you know we hear what she's saying and we and you know we acknowledge that she's saying them because of that whole you know feelings aren't right or wrong they just are so if this is how she's feeling and if she's telling us this is what's happening then we'll acknowledge them and then see how we can work with that to get her out into the car and so. Some of those things have have just completely gone away because, I mean, literally, it was like, well, because the moon wasn't up today, and
0: you know, oh. like
1: those kinds of things.
0: How old's your child again? Five. Okay. Yep.
1: And very creative. <laughs>
0: I would I would say so. Um, but <laughs> so, here's the cool part. Before you go on, I know you want to. I I want to hear what you're going to say next, but okay. <laughs> I gotta make I gotta make a point. Taking her concerns at face value, there's no downside. As I said, I believe on yesterday's radio program for, parent, uh, for educators, it's going to come out in the Plan B wash anyways. Either her initial stab at a concern is going to have legs, or, or it's not, but we'll find out while we're drilling for information. In the empathy step, if we express skepticism or if we are, um, you know, cynical about the child's concerns, then it'll never come out in the plan B wash because now we've caused the kid to stop talking to us. So I love that one. The reason she's having trouble getting ready for school is because the moon isn't out. But when we drill for information on that, um, we'll either find out that there's more to it than what she initially articulated or we'll find out that, you know, it'll go someplace else. But there's everything to be gained and nothing to be lost by taking her concerns seriously and treating them as if they are legitimate. Okay, that's the point I needed to make. Keep going.
1: Well, actually, I think you just solved the question that I haven't even yet asked. Okay. Because my because in the mornings, we now have – um. I don't know, we also put up a piece of paper by the front door with, you know, a picture of her backpack and a picture of her shoes and a picture of her jacket so that, like, it's kind of understood that we're going to grab these things and we're actually going to leave the front door and then we're going to go get in the car and we're going to go to school. And the dropping off for school has been 99% better than it ever was before. They've even commented that she's transitioning to school more easily and with more ease. So I don't know... After listening to you talk, I wonder if just the listening to her concerns at all is what solved the problem, because none of the problems that she had or none of those that she defined as being problems getting out the door and off to school, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say none of them held water, but they weren't realistic reasons for her delaying, but maybe it was just that she felt like she wasn't part of the process in the morning.
0: Anything's possible.
1: You know what I mean? Maybe she just thought that we were just – she was just an accessory like a laptop case going out to work in the morning. Maybe she felt heard, you know. But I guess my – my because that's been solved and we're now able to, like, focus on a, a new situation, yep. which is not new. It's just new to be focused on – Um. She is bullying her older brother.
0: Because that's solved, or that's separate?
1: Oh, it's separate. It's okay. it's always been so, there, but that was more of an important thing to deal with was to get her off to school. But she's always it. been aggressive towards her older brother.
0: So now we're turning to a different unsolved problem. Yes. How she? And I'm as you know. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to be more specific. Absolutely. the specific conditions in which what you're calling bullying is occurring.
1: Yes. Um, She is hitting and kicking. She purposely will take something that he might be holding or working with. Uh, To me, it looks like an attention-seeking situation because obviously she gets our attention.
0: Well, there's lots of ways to get your attention. I wonder why she's doing it that way.
1: I agree. <laughs> because it doesn't always get positive attention.
0: <laughs> that's right. Hitting, uh, t- stealing your brother's toy or making him cry is not positive attention. But to tell you the truth, that wouldn't necessarily, in fact, it almost never would, lead me to the conclusion that she's doing it for negative attention.
1: Correct. Correct. But well, here's I the don't good news. Do kids see things in, in positive or negative, or do they just see things in absolutes? Well, that's. I'm
0: getting well, attention. <laughs> that's, oh, that's. Oh, uh, hmm. I'm uh, thinking that we might want to try on some other explanations besides attention-seeking. I think it's going to lead us down a dead end. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. I mean, I'm never enthusiastic about attention-seeking. I figure if a kid is able to seek attention positively, number one, good for them, and number two, it's probably because they have the skills. Right. If, if a kid is what we often call seeking attention negatively, Uh, I always find that the kid is lacking skills, but to tell you the truth, the the main thing I always find is that there is an unsolved problem setting in motion what we adults are calling negative attention-seeking, in which case I really don't need to focus on the fact that it's negative attention-seeking anymore. It it might be, but I don't usually find that the kid has sort of contrived the unsolved problem. It's real for the purpose of seeking negative attention. So here's the good news in the empathy step of plan b we're going to right. find out we're going to find out what's going on and i'm betting i'm well i've only had a kid say this to me once i i was working with a 4 year old a very long time ago and i was uh doing this in front of some psychiatry residents at a uh, hospital that i used to work at demonstrating collaborative problem solving and i asked the child why this was sort of an early form of drilling why he was exhibiting the behavior he was exhibiting and he said this was a four-year-old that he was doing it for negative reinforcement.
1: And he said that?
0: He said he those exact words and um <laughs> he, of co- he of course had no idea what negative reinforcement was uh but he had heard it. Um right. So you know, I've, I've heard kids say they were doing something for negative attention, and then I almost always ask them who they heard that from, and it's almost always an adult, and then I ask them if they know what that means, and most of the time they really don't know what that means. Here's the good news. We don't need to explain it. We're going to find out in the empathy step of Plan B why she's grabbing toys from her brother, why he's playing with them. I can give you an example of a kid that I used to work with and what I heard. This This was much better than negative attention. It was... Negative attention is an adult interpretation. I, in the empathy stuff, I'm going to find out what's really going on. Here's what he said. He said, um, "I'm not through playing with that those toys yet." And I believe the mother said to him, "Yeah, but but you haven't played when you take them when you take them back. You haven't been playing with them for like a half an hour." And he said, "But that doesn't mean I'm done playing with them yet." So that's what he had going on in his head, and that. Made very good sense to us given the profile of this kid. He was sort of a very concrete, literal, black and white thinker. And he had a completely different definition of when you're through playing with a toy than his parents did. And certainly a different right. definition of when he was through playing with a toy than his brother did. And so, good, we got the information that we needed. I can't.
1: That so, actually kind of makes sense in this situation because a lot of the times when it's happening is. When they've been given time to watch a TV show, and and maybe a commercial break comes on, or a pause in the show, or the show itself ends, and that's when the grabbing happens. You know, then she wants the remote control, or she you know will kick him in the pause because the show is not taking place. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, ways that we've been solving it is just by not having any more screen time, which is good. But sometimes there are some shows that he likes to watch, um, that it's okay that she doesn't watch, and then there's that whole disparity. And but he gets to and yes, but you're only five, and <laughs> all of those dynamics that get thrown in as well.
0: Yep, and I would say Taken away TV is uh, has uh, is closer to Plan A, but I'm sort of interested. I think you're going to hear something that is much more informative. The negative attention when you do the empathy step of plan B with your son. And, oh, uh, once you hear about what's really going on, I have another bet. I don't think you're going to be calling it bullying anymore. Right. I think that term's going to go by the wayside, and in my opinion, as well it should. Um, bullying... Well, I think that the information you get in the empathy step is going to be far more informative than that descriptor. And more informative than negative attention.
1: Right, right.
0: So here's the good part. You've got a successful plan B under your belt. And back to your original point, there's a lot going on in the empathy step. There's communication going on in the empathy step. There's relationship building going on in the empathy step. There's a kid realizing that, his or her parents are taking his or her concerns seriously in the empathy step. There's pointing out to the kid something that they may not have actually been all that clear on, and that is that there's a very specific problem that needs to be solved. That's going on in the empathy step, and I'm not even being exhaustive about well, that's a good point what... alone. Yeah, it's huge. So there's a ton right, going on in Just letting there. them
1: know what's happening here isn't okay, because, I mean, I say that a lot. This is not okay. It is not what... okay to kick your brother in the face.
0: No, it is not. On the other hand, you're approaching it with Plan B in a way that makes it far more likely that you'll actually be heard and taken seriously. Right. Um, this is not okay. Um, I, I find that when kids hear that enough, they stop hearing it.
1: Right. Right. Well, Plan
0: B is a different when, approach.
1: When do you find the time to do Plan B? <laughs> this is another thing, because I know that you – out of this situation is obviously better when you're not kind of, I'm not upset that he nearly lost a tooth and she's not upset that he's yelling and screaming about his face hurting or whatever. Like, obviously, out of the moment is the best. But when you're having a great moment and playing go fish, sometimes if we bring up and try to have a conversation, hey, you know, when... Sometimes when you and Andrew are laying there and playing and stuff and, and, you know, you start kicking and, you know, what's up with that? But if we're doing in the middle of playing a game and we're having fun, she kind of shuts down a lot and doesn't want to have a conversation. And now the cards go flying because she's upset that we're talking about it.
0: Right. And so here's the interesting thing about that. I would call that hmm, emergent proactive plan B. In other words – even though it's proactive because she's not kicking her brother at the moment. Right. We've we've sprung it on her. Got so it. So I don't think we want to spring it on her. I think we want to let her know and this is I give this guidance to everybody. Um I don't think we want to spring it on her proactively because it still feels <laughs> um like we're springing it on her and she wasn't ready right. for it. I think that in many families I've helped them arrange a certain time every day that they're going to try to solve a problem. Um, Ooh, that's that, a good
1: idea. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's, you know, it's uh it, then you're not springing it on her. Uh and right. you you want to give her some advance notice about what you want to talk with her about. But I have one other little tip for you. You want to um try as hard as you can not to have the unsolved problem be her behavior. I think you want to talk about these specific conditions in which the behavior is occurring
1: but without it it being the behavior itself
0: correct a lot of kids so so we've got potentially two ingredients three ingredients first of all she this was not great timing for the conversation it was sprung on her secondly the topic was a surprise to her and thirdly A lot of kids, if you throw their behavior at them as the unsolved problem, they won't talk to you because it kind of feels like they're totally backed
1: into a corner.
0: Correct. It kind of feels like they're in trouble. So um, here's what the unsolved problem, as best I can understand it. This may not be perfect given the scenario, but I'm going to pick something you've told me about when she kicks her brother, but without including kicking your brother. I've noticed that when, um, and I don't know if I understood this completely, but I'll, I'll make it up. I've noticed that when a show ends and you and your brother are trying to figure out who's going to hold the clicker, sometimes that doesn't go very well. What's up? No behavior. Right. Adding the behavior actually would not add value. Adding the behavior to that would actually um, potentially put your daughter on the defensive.
1: So here's just, what I'm That's what I was just thinking, yeah, because now she's in trouble.
0: Now she's in trouble. That's what being in trouble sounds like, right? So even though you're doing Mm -hmm. Plan B, it sounds like trouble. So there's three things that I might tune up on a little bit. Number one, I wouldn't spring it on her. I would try to arrange the proactive conversations for a time that she knows it's coming and maybe even agrees to. Um, Back in the day when I used to do a lot of Plan B with my daughter, it was bedtime. If there was an unsolved problem that needed to be solved and it sprung up on us, The instantaneous timing that she would suggest would be bedtime. She would say one word, bedtime, and I knew that we'd be solving that problem that night at bedtime. Secondly, I think you want your daughter to know ahead of time what it is that you want to be talking with her about, what the unsolved problem of the day is that we're going to be working on, right? Then, even if you're doing it proactively, you're not springing the topic on her. And then third... that way she
1: also has some time to think it through. Because I know I'm a ruminator, and I can't just come into a conversation and really think on my feet about positive ideas and and really articulate my thoughts. Correct. And I know she's very similar to that.
0: Correct. So, and then thirdly, um you want to keep behavior out of the unsolved problem so that there's no defensiveness involved that the the unsolved problem is actually stated in the most neutral way possible. And here's the good news. It's not like you haven't noticed the times when the unsolved problem is coming up. You have. Just try to leave behavior out of the unsolved problem, and now you are neutral, proactive. You're not springing it on her, and you have a much better chance of her participating in the discussion. I would not include bullying in my unsolved problem if you paid me.
1: Mm-hmm. I would, I no, would not I agree. Include,
0: yep, I would not include negative attention in my unsolved problem. It's just the right. unsolved problem. It's a pure, unadulterated, unsolved problem.
1: Like feelings aren't right or wrong, they just are the problem just is without any any define defining terms
0: correct and once once the problem is solved, the behaviors that are associated with it will subside
1: right. This makes perfect sense, and it just seems so simple when it's on paper, and when she's not here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, here's the thing. Like
1: I can I can problem solve and and do plan B in my head and it's all good, but then when she starts putting in her two cents, it does, you know, become a little bit more difficult. <laughs>
0: oh, let there be no doubt. But, you know what? Um having her there often means emergency plan B, and we don't want to be doing that.
1: Right. So we, we, Not we, on we a regular wanna, basis.
0: No. We do want to come up with the list of unsolved problems that we want to be working on and the priorities, the ones we're working on right now, so that we can organize the effort and make the whole enterprise as proactive as possible. But it is true once plan B starts and we are hearing from the child, life gets a lot more interesting. And the good news right. is that's right. because life that's because life is interesting. Right. To, to me, you know, the good news is in the empathy step You don't really have to feel like you have to respond. You just have to drill well. You are just as curious as can be about what's going on in there. And the goal of the empathy step is to understand it. So although drilling is hard, pregnant pauses are fine as you're gathering your thoughts, um, as you're thinking of what it is that you don't understand yet about her concern or perspective, perfectly fine for you to be gathering your thoughts. Here's the good news. Most kids in the midst of the empathy step are so pleased that we are interested in understanding what their concerns are. Pregnant pauses, they got no problem with that. They're sort of just waiting for your next question. Right. What are some the of pro- the
1: phrases and questions, like those drilling things that you can say, that aren't directive and that aren't emotionally charged? You know, I mean, I know the, you know, what's up with that and tell me more, well, but
0: What's up with that is the end of the empathy step. The drilling strategies are actually on the Plan B cheat sheet.
1: Okay, yep.
0: And you'll hear, I, I'm, I know I did a radio program on drilling. It's either in the parent, and we're we're in the midst of completely reorganizing the radio program so that they're easier to find. But um, I know I've done a program on drilling. So it's all there. Um, and it's neutral. I will, I will just, go
1: search for that one.
0: it's you being curious, it's you really wanting to know. Define the problem step, you have only one goal, and that is to help your child understand what your concern is. None of this requires this pressure to be super quick on your feet. The empathy step requires really good drilling, which just takes practice. The define the problem step means you being clear about what your concern is. And the invitation which I find, aside from drilling, that people find to be the hardest of the three ingredients. Um, empathy step is far and away the hardest, but uh, coming up with a mutually satisfactory solution is quite hard for many people as well. Luckily, we're not in a hurry. No pressure. Go with the flow. Try to be open to what your daughter is saying. Um No advanced plan, because you really have no idea where Plan B is going to go. It's going to be an adventure. Um, Unlike going on a trail on a hike, with Plan B, while there is a basic format, uh, in some parts of Plan B you kind of feel like you're bushwhacking. Uh, You you know that you want to get down the hill, but um, it's not completely clear. Hmm, I don't know if that's the best analogy. Um, I'll go with it. You're bushwhacking in Plan B. That's not what the B stands for, but um, there's not always a well-defined trail. The three steps are your trail. You never know what's going to come up. How's that?
1: Right. No, I like that.
0: Good. A new analogy.
1: Yes. And yet you also never know if there's going to be a jaguar jumping out at you.
0: <laughs> well, I wouldn't be too concerned about jaguars, uh, not not in your state anyways, and, and we're not going to – the, the, the most I think we need to be concerned about is a uh, tree blocking your path. Right. Uh, so, some growth on the trail because it hasn't been, you know, we haven't gone this way lately. This is a new trail. New unsolved That's, problem, new trail.
1: Right. Well, and because we're fairly new to the even the whole collaborative problem-solving process, like every trail is sort of there, but we're sort of, like, blazing, right. you know? That's right. And do you think, though, that, because like you said earlier because we've got one under our belt that it gets easier the whole process speeds up because she gets what we're trying to do and that we are partners in trying to solve some of these needs that she has as opposed to authoritative coming down and saying no seriously this is what has to happen because i say so
0: i'll feel much better after 20 one is a great (laughs) start 20 is going to make you feel like you're hiking now
1: and you just mean twenty problems 20 plan- solved,
0: yes. not 20? her being twenty. <laughs> no, not her being twenty. I promise. Unfortunately, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we need we need to stop for today. Don't don't call back when she's twenty. Call back sooner than that. Let us know I, how it's I will it's going.
1: do that. Thank you very much.
0: You bet. We need to call it a day, but that was a uh, great call. I'm glad that mom called in again, and um, time for me to say goodbye for today. But I'll be back next week. Talk to you then.